Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your bad son, Han Luke. I'm Captain Captain Jingwei of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Jingwei of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the greatest generation. Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to be doing a Star Trek podcast on our YouTube channel right now. If you're listening, you could be watching. I'm just saying, I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. I like that, like the way that we start every show is with that clap sync. And, uh-huh. you know, for video, I feel like we're going to open the show like a magician, like a cheap magician <laughs> that you'd uh, get in like a hotel lobby. Like, sure. show begins like this. Right. That's the first thing anyone sees. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like it. Welcome. <laughs> Rejoice. <laughs> There's the big snifter glass mm. full of singles. You know, the tip money. Get rid of those singles and put some fucking brandy in that snifter. That's what I say. Yeah. Yeah. Make those singles wet. Yeah. You know that uh, that brand of wine glass, Riedel? Yeah, I do, cause uh, cause those are the glasses without the the stems, right? Uh, they make ones with stems. They make stemware and non-stemware. It's hmm. a nice, nice brand of wine glass. Mm-hmm. This is not sponsored content. I ordered some of those for a shoot once because we were doing a cocktail that was presented in a brandy snifter, and they make a brandy snifter. And uh-huh. I was like, "Who sells brandy snifters? I wonder if Riedel does." And I like went online and I looked at the picture, and I was like, "That's a nice looking one." And I ordered it for this shoot. It came. The Riedel brandy snifter is like the size of a basketball. It is so comically big. What? Yeah, because like I think the deal with a brandy snifter is you're supposed to be able to turn it on its side to fill <laughs> it up, and that's like one serving of brandy. And I don't know why Riedel decided that one serving of brandy is like 18 ounces. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's a very big glass. I don't know anything about brandy. All I know is that my my Polish grandmother, mm-hmm. uh, the babcha, loves it. Uh-huh. And uh, I noticed that she was drinking it at this big Polish wedding we were at together. I got her a, a snifter of brandy. Nice. I don't know the language. I don't know anything. But uh, she seemed very, very grateful for the gesture. What's Polish for snifter? <laughs> I have no idea. Snifter. I don't know Polish for anything. I'm useless. Adam, we're, we're doing a video code 47 today because so many people have sent us stuff through the mail. Yeah. So many people have sent us stuff through the mail, and I have not been to the post office in like two and a half months to the extent that I'm like getting shit from the postman when I show up to to open the PO box. You said this last time. Are you in deep deep trouble now? He was like, "Yeah, you haven't picked up in a while." And I was like, "Oh, uh I was out of the country." I don't know why I said that. It was just the first thing I thought of. Wow. And he's like, uh, "Yeah, well, a lot of people go out of the country and then they're they uh, don't pay their their fee and their box lapses and they uh it gets closed." And I was like, "Yeah, I don't think that's going to be a problem." <laughs> Wow. Hence the credit card information you've left for them. Yeah, hence the fact that I prepaid a year. Like, what What are you talking about, man? Leave me alone. I pay for the fucking box so that stuff can show up there and I can pick it up at my leisure. I don't know. Leave me the fuck alone, the postman. You know, postal workers have it hard enough, Ben. Why are you making it so much harder for them? I don't know what it is about this one post office. Like, the, the one that we had at my previous apartment, there was one 
you know, like these are both post offices that are walking distance from uh-huh. where I, I live at the time. My apartment in Echo Park, we had a, a pretty close by post office. Everybody there, super nice, mm-hmm. super friendly. It was a popular post office. You would often get a line when you got there. But when you got to the front of the line, everybody just pleasant as could be. This post office, sleepy, almost never a line. But everybody that works there is a bit of a dick. Like not a not like an aggressive, full-blown asshole, but they just say little dickish shit every single time I go there. Well, maybe if you went back with a greater frequency, you'd see their attitudes change a little bit. Maybe they'd be happy to see you next time if you returned maybe uh, two weeks from now. Hmm. Can you stick to a two-week schedule, you think? I don't... Here's the thing. I don't need to. I, I brought so many packages home that we have enough for today's Code 47 and the next one without any new things coming. Okay, we better get into these then. Yeah. I was not expecting such a load. <laughs> Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a Code 47. Verify. It is Code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain size only. We got a great big load today. First one is one that was actually here in my office for the previous Code 47. And as I opened all of the other packages, the packaging fell on the floor and like covered the box. And I realized later on, like what I had done, I'd I'd left one, Mm. I left one in the field. Yeah. You're never supposed to do that to a Navy SEAL. That's a bad feeling. Yeah. No, no Navy SEAL would leave a fallen soldier behind covered in packing tape and uh, and paper. <laughs> this one is from Andrew D. in Meadows Place, Texas. Sorry, Andrew, that it took us so long to get to this one. Andrew's getting concerned. Worry no more, Andrew. Nice packing tissue in here. Oh, boy. That's the kind of packing tissue that usually covers up some, uh, some thong underwear. This is uh, the packing tissue of Italy or Mexico. <laughs> Uh-huh. And you'll, you're only going to get that if you're if you're watching the episode. So glad you're leading so hard into the visual humor. <laughs> Multiple pages of letter, so probably have to trim this down a little bit in the edit. But here we go. Dear Adam and Ben, I know you don't remember me, and why would you? We've never met. A few years ago, there was a Priority One message from one brother to another in which the sender compared himself as the lore to his brother's data. Well... It me. I wanted to say that my brother and I have gotten countless hours of laughter and enjoyment from your podcast. I know you get this a lot, but hearing you guys every week means a lot to us. Enclosed, you will find a very rare item that I'm sure you will appreciate as collectors of Star Trek items, a la Kivas Fajo. It is a printed and bound Star Trek cookbook. No, not the officially licensed product with Neelix on the cover. This is a unique artifact, and it was made by a Star Trek fan group that was focused on community service in the Fort Walton Beach area. The only info I could find is the just a bunch of, of blurry newspaper photographs of like feet sticking out of sheets. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> they called themselves the USS Scorpion. Oh, apparently Whoopi G and Majel B made submissions, so it seems like this group had some reach back in the day. There are tons of recipes here and a nice drawing of Worf on the cover. I'm not sure if any of the recipes are good. Perhaps this could become a square on the game of buttholes will of the Sulaban, where when you go to Star Trek Enterprise, drop in It's Been a Long Time. 
a lot of direction in this letter. Yeah, I mean, we're not going back to this one to re-edit it. <laughs> you could record the pod at the same time as you make a dish, just like dinner in a movie. At the end, you could review the dish, like in Factory Seconds. It isn't a great idea, but it is an idea nonetheless. Mm. With that, I will say thank you again for everything you've given us, friends of DeSoto. We are lucky to have devoted content creators such as yourselves to entertain us. Sincerely, Andrew. P.S. Please come back to Houston. I missed you when you played the White Oak Music Hall, and I will never be able to live with myself for it. Wow. Mm. Well, never playing the White Oak Music Hall again. Yeah. But we'd love to come back to Houston. We love Houston, but yeah, that venue uh, kind of fucked us over. So... This is the book, uh, and it is indeed a nice drawing of Worf. I miss tight bun Worf. Yeah. Yeah. That is like notebook illustration by the arty kid in school grade Worf Worf drawing. I really love that style of binding. I loved messing around with that binding when I was in school, like pulling the the tines out. Yeah. So they'd go on the other side of the binding, and then I'd put them back in. I love that this exists. Oh, man. Full color on some of these pages. What's the recipe that Whoopi G donated? Can you find it? I'm going to see if I can page through real quick and and turn it up. Yeah. I've gotten to the index and I'm just scanning through it. (laughs) I'm going to go to a recipe called Next Best Thing to Commander Riker. Just because I can't help but figure out what that could possibly be. That's got to be a sausage recipe, right? Mix together one cup of flour, one stick of butter or margarine, one half cup or more of chopped pecans and walnuts. What is it, though? You're just reading the ingredients. Oh, it's like a it's a chocolate layer cake. Oh. Oh, so this is for Troy to eat. That's what's going on here. I see. If she can't be with him, she can be with the cake. Oh, here it is. I found it. I found whoopies. It's called Guinan's Goupet. This is a versatile appetizer spread that works as a cocktail dip or sandwich filling for a child's lunch. (laughs) Okay. It's also a floor wax. Mmm, it tastes (laughs) terrific. And just look at that shine. One seven ounce can of tuna packed in water, one eight ounce package of cream cheese, one half of a lemon juiced, one tablespoon finely chopped dill weed, and two tablespoons of sweet pickle relish. Combine all ingredients... Spread on pumpernickel, crackers, etc., and oh. serve at any occasion. I gotta tell you, Ben, I, I'm a tuna fish man. Yeah. I love eating the fish of tuna, and I've never mixed my tuna with cream cheese before. That is uh, an interesting combination. That's enough to go viral, I would say. I mean, that's how you make a mousse. You need to need something with the thickness. Wow. Screen grab that if you're uh, if you want to make Guinan's goupay. Which has a helpful pronunciation <laughs> guide next to it. <laughs> I've got to believe that Whoopi did not name that dish, right? Did that come straight from her? Amazing. That's what it says. I mean, she's a professional comedian, so. Goupe. Very funny. Yeah, that rules. Uh, well, that's a great submission. Very excited to uh, to look through that. Yeah, maybe that'll be uh, a square on the game of buttholes down the road. Yeah. A, uh, a make a recipe from the book and uh, share about it. Maybe we could do a crossover episode with uh, Adam Ragusea and do some, some uh, Star Trek recipes on his show. Yeah, I think that's fine. 
Yeah. While while we're here on YouTube, let's not try and uh, do any YouTube synergy. <laughs> uh, that guy only eats tilapia fish. So if we yeah. could make... Uh, right out of the pot that he cooked it in. If we can make uh, Whoopi's Goupay with the tilapia instead of the tuna, I think he'd be game. This next one here is from Mr. Stephen C. in San Leandro, California, right next door to my hometown of Oakland. Love to hear from the San Leandrans. All right, here we go. The comparatively short note goes, uh-huh. Dear Ben and Adam, longtime supporter, first time Code 47er, thank you for all the fantastic pod and the excellent communities that they have inspired. I meant to hand this to you in person at the SF Double Dumbass show, but I got sick and couldn't go, so here you go. Hope you enjoy it. P.S. What's up, all my Exo Cooks? <laughs> Please play the ExoCook drop I made. Hopefully either Bill or the Goose sends it to you. I know 45 is a long amount of seconds for a drop. So if you want me to make a shorter version, let me know. Uh, all right, let's see. Let's see what has been sent by Steven. We have a weird little package here. Okay. Some like wax paper. Oh, Quark's Bar and Restaurant Deep Space Menu from the Las Vegas Hilton. This is amazing. Okay. Wow. So this is back when uh, when there was a, a fully licensed Star Trek thing in Vegas, which will never exist again. But this is the, the actual menu from Quark's restaurant. Isolinear chips and dip. Mm. Lita's soup, which uh, I think you know how, how you order that. Lita, 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 Lita. Oh, yeah. I remember now. The salad of Kalos. Wow, a warrior salad. It's just, just a Caesar salad with chicken breast. Yes, but the chicken was dead and now it is alive. <laughs> Some of these are real stretches. Barbecue continuum pizza? Mm-hmm. Oh, because the Q continuum? Oui. No, nothing wormhole related? Mm-hmm. Wormhole wings. Not a wormhole dish. Hmm. The wrap of Khan? Oh, no. <laughs> That's fun, though. You know what? That's all we had, and now we don't even have that. Yeah, yeah. It sucks. Whoa, you could do weddings there. 24th century weddings? Dang. You should mail that to creation with a, a post-it note that says, See, you can <laughs> just name things in a fun way to make things more fun for people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the dessert menu is called the Final Frontier, which I like. Yeah. Uh, you guys have room for the Final Frontier? <laughs> yeah, we'll take a look at the menu. <laughs> Couldn't hurt. Boy, that's a lot of fun. Thank you for sending that in, Stephen. Uh, I will cherish this. Or Adam will. We'll figure that out later. Don't you wish that place still existed? I sure do. I sure do. You go to the Westgate anymore and... Not a fun place to be without a Star Trek exhibit. Yeah, it's just sad. Without a Star Trek wing. Mm. Next thing we've got here is a package from Corey H. in Burnaby, B.C. We've met Corey before, Adam. Sure have, yeah. Uh, a couple of times, I think. If you're from uh, Burnaby, are you are you known as a burner? Oh, yeah. You got to throw your phone away at the end of the day. Yeah. All the time. All right. Got a note here. Dear Adam and Ben, I made you guys a custom Uxbridge Shimoda War deck because 
I missed that segment on TGG, and because this card game is how I started working in games writing, views of Star Trek and Star Wars CCGs. 30 years later, I'm starting work on my sixth AAA video game title. If my buddy and I hadn't sat down to crack open two brand new Trek TNG CCG starters, I'd probably be slinging hash somewhere. Jeez. Mm. (laughs) This is like the classic rapper brag. Like, if I wasn't rapping, I'd be selling... I'd be slinging hash. Yes, sir. Anyway, the letter does not go short enterprise. So real quick, the cards all have some connection, maybe most readily apparent to the Uxbridge family of shows. Also, I keep saying it that way because there's a card in there called Friendly Fire, but that's not a fun thing, but a bummer thing. I apologize, and please feel free to drop a Lego Sherman tank on it. And the deck is not remotely game playable, though mm. it should be well suited for some Trek War. Okay. Also included a first edition, I think, of the first contact novelization, as well as a copy of Patrick O'Brien's Master and Commander. This handwritten letter has already gone on too long. So let me close by saying I'm sorry we got rid of our printer because I have no idea if I have legible handwriting anymore. Guess we'll find out together. Thanks again for years of great pod. As long as you guys are willing to keep being a little bit embarrassed, I'm on board as long as the ship is flying. Cheers, Corey. So uh, we have a a Magic the Gathering uh, box here. Let me see if I can figure out how to open this box. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Oh, look at those. Yeah. Yeah. Right on top. The man. The myth. Captain DeSoto. Cool. There's our guy. That's great. Got the USS Hood, Admiral Necheyev, Kevin Uxbridge, Friendly Fire, the line must be drawn here, Wall of Ships. We gotta play oh. a game sometime. We've we've threatened to do that for years and years and just I know. How do you do that on a show? How do you play a game on a show? It seems boring <laughs> as hell. Uh, we got a couple of copies of Master oh. and Commander. Hey, that's great. I want one of those. Yeah, one for you, one for me. Cool. And one copy of first edition novelization, First Contact. Oh, you got to bubble wrap that one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's made out of Lego, so it would, it would probably come apart in the in shipping if you didn't bubble wrap it. So cool. Yeah, that looks great with an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at the making of the film. For half of its pages? I don't know. Yeah, it seems like... Uh, yeah, there's like some pictures in here. All right. Is that from Cochran shaking a hand with uh, Vulcan when Lily should have been the one doing it? Etc. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. That, I mean, Thank you, Corey. I hope the novelization is more about Lily than the movie ever was. Lily, of course, First Contact's true hero. Truly. Another package here. This one's from Zenobia F. in Brisbane, Australia, Adam. This one has come quite a long distance to get to us. Another handwritten letter. Boy. (laughs) The friends of DeSoto are really testing me today. (laughs) Zenobia has beautiful handwriting. Oh, that's good. Here we go. Zen here, writing to you from the other end of the alphabet and Australia. 
I know your mailbox slash basement gets flooded with lots of gushy sentiment, but I'm another FOD benefiting from your niche balance of gutter humor and compassion. Hi. My own embarrassing activity is crafting very silly soap bars. I hope this one translates. There are four pips. But actually, as the bar wears down, you'll find that exclusive fifth light was inside all along. Mm. Elusive, not exclusive. They're unsurprisingly bergamot scented for the Earl Grey element, but... How does the box smell, Ben? Well, I have a bit of a cold, but the box does smell real nice. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's got a something wood and honey vibe that, to me, says Horgon Holiday. So you can wash your mouths out properly. There's one for each of you, plus one for an FOD. Friend of DeSopo? Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for all the good pod and making my brain work better. Love from Downanda, Zenobia in Brisbane. So it looks like uh, Zenobia has her own company called Slippy Boys. Oh, I like that name. And uh, also included a uh, Bin Chicken Appreciation Society sticker. Oh, yeah. I have no idea what that is in reference to. Definitely pro-bin chicken. That must be some kind of poisonous bird that they have down in Australia, right? Sure. Everything's poisonous there. That cool arty tape that uh, people use. Oh, look at that. Look at those great soaps. Really cool. It is a command uniform soap handcrafted for discerning weirdos. (laughs) That belongs... At a booth at a convention. It really does. Zenobia, if you if you were at Star Trek Las Vegas, you would be raking it in. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think uh, soap came in the rooms at the Rio. I'm not making a comment about the attendees. I'm making a comment about the Rio. Yeah. Slippy Boys is on, uh, on Etsy, and uh, it looks like on uh, social media, at Slippy.Boys, boys spelled B-O-I-S. So, uh... I don't know if this particular bar will be for sale or if that's just for us, but uh, thank you so much for sending that in and for sending it such a long way, Zenobia. I hate to note someone's great business idea, but I don't think uh, Slippy or Slippery Boys, B-O-I-S, is search engine optimized for (laughs) your specific business. (laughs) Might I suggest, like, Slippery Boys... Not sex stuff. It's actually soap, like in parentheses. Mm, yeah. I did notice that uh, get Zenobia you sent that in uh, tasteful, discreet packaging. So yeah, yeah. I appreciated that about it. Keep doing that. All right, one last package here, Adam. Okay. This is the big package of the day. It's from H. Ezekiel Sauer out of Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's sent in stuff before. Yeah. We've got some... Bubble wrap big. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. It's like a sleeve of wizard you got in your lap. We've got a Elkars-themed letter here. Dear Ben and Adam, this is a follow-up from the package I sent around the beginning of 2023. I felt bad that I only had one of these, and I wanted you both to have one, so I scoured around and was able to find another book and a bunch more pages as well. I hope between all these you can complete the set and we'll have extras to sell or keep for backup in case you spill a beverage on them during a drunk assault. 
Perhaps you could work these into a new Marin Open or include it in your Bible study bit. Anyway, hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks again for being amazing podcasters. You are and adding tremendous amount of joy to my life every day. Your loyal viewer and forever FOD, HSE Heal Sour. Mm. So this is a... This is a duplicate. Th- this is a dupe of that ring binder book. Oh, wow. We got last time. And so many additional pages for the book. You know, I didn't realize I was missing that until just now. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Look at this haunted picture of uh, Quark's makeup half on. Wow. That's amazing. It It's just like a hat with ear flaps. Yeah. It's a fedora with safari flaps in the back. It doesn't even really look like Armin Shimmerman or Quark in that photo. It really doesn't. No. It looks like a, a Halloween store costume. Like big eared alien costume. Picture of a Bane. Oh, yeah. Tuvok. That's pretty good. They're big. Oh, here's here's a picture of uh, beloved Star Trek character Andy Dick, who uh, yeah. we're yeah. glad was in an episode for sure. One of the greats. <laughs> no, no weird feelings about that. Oh, man. This is great. So, so many pages. <laughs> Well, thanks to all the FODs who thought to send us some gifts in the mail. Here's another page that we have no regrets about as Star Trek fans. Just uh, glad that episode exists and no complicated feelings whatsoever. Yeah, just keep keep pulling out pages that we have strange feelings about, Ben. Okay, if, if you insist, I will keep doing that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> What are we doing? Let's go back and review the next generation right now. It's somehow better when the images are big. You know, like we've seen these on little baseball card size images for years and years, but feels good to see them big like that. Oh my God. Champion standing from some of these stills that they picked. Yeah, that's real Bill Tilly freeze frame quality there. No kidding. Wow. Well, thanks to everyone who sent stuff in. We uh, should probably get to the episode. We've been recording for a long time and haven't reviewed any Star Trek yet, Adam. If you'd like to send us something in the mail that Ben will go pick up from a post office between four and six weeks from now, uh, get a hold of Bill Tilly. He'll screen your package yeah. carefully yeah. and thoroughly and make sure uh, the right ones get to us. Do it. Thanks, everyone. Okay, Adam, why don't we get to the episode we came to talk about today. It's Star Trek Voyager, Season 6, Episode 20. Good Shepard. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> we get a first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation style camera fly-through shot here. Yeah. Feels good. I like this shot a lot. Great zoom in and a really nicely done effect showing the exterior of the ship and then showing us right where Janeway's office is in relation to the uh, the bridge, the conning tower. I don't know what you call that. The windows are for grief or lovemaking, though, <laughs> on Starfleet ships. I'm not sure what exactly Janeway's doing with hers. Mm. Yeah, just looking out of it. That's her broth window. 
We get a little morning briefing from Chakotay, just kind of like some, <laughs> here's some business of the ship stuff. Hey, just reminding you I'm here. <laughs> She's like, carry on. <laughs> Away from me, preferably. If you need time off to chisel a bathtub or whatever, you're welcome to do that. <laughs> Sounds great. I like that there's some delineation here in this scene, right? Some stuff just isn't worth Voyager's time. But uh, the Delta Flyer is just right for this kind of job. They're passing by something a little too boring for the big ship, so they'll send the little ship out yeah. to take a look. I like it. Yeah, there's some stuff that is not going to be a worth diverting. So um, Chakotay walks onto the bridge, and we get some nice shipboard business here as well. You know, he tells... Tom to get a, an away team together for this Delta Flyer mission. And uh, then we start sort of following, instead of Chakotay, a much more interesting and fully developed character, an <laughs> iPad around the ship. <laughs> it's years of film and television training that has made this scene feel to me like outbreak. It's going airborne. Like, I love a passing the story baton between people type of sequence. But like, sure. whenever you see it, especially at the level of of an iPad, I'm thinking like viral touching of a bunch of different crew people. Just can't get it out of my head. Yeah, this is not going to be not going to be good for anyone that comes in contact with the iPad. Is yeah. your thought? Yeah. <laughs> Got to wipe that thing down. It gets to Astrometrics where Seven wants to boost something. So that gets it sent down to engineering where um, the uh, Bajoran lady that brings it to BLT gives her the information that they're going to need some more some more power in uh, one of the scanning systems. And BLT dispatches someone down to deck 15 where uh, it, it finds its uh, final home in the hands of a guy named Mortimer. Who's going to have to add, like physically turn the knob that turns up the power? This all seems like stuff. It could should be something that you can access from engineering by just like pressing a button on a screen, but yeah. uh, it's all done manually on Voyager. Or at least like you hit a button in engineering, and then a light flashes on deck fifteen, and then Mortimer Heron hits a corresponding button down there. Yeah, like it's one of those things, like in. Um, in like a World War II movie when you see somebody like yell into a horn and yeah. <laughs> that audio ricocheting through a pipe down to the engineering section of the boat or yeah. whatever. More like horn of plenty of orders. <laughs> Thing won't shut up. Yeah. Deck 15 seems like a real shitty place to work. It's on the bottom of the birdie of the Voyager because uh, the camera falls out of this porthole and we see the Voyager from the outside as we began the sequence. So nice little bookend here, visually. Yeah, like the camera flew into the mouth and out through the anus <laughs> of the Starship Voyager over the course of this opening section. Deck 15 is, is the anus in this comparison? Well, it's like the lower intestine, and then that porthole is the, is the sphincter. Right. Hey. Where Mortimer hangs out. I'm in your butt. <laughs> After the theme, we're back with the Bajoran from the cold open. Her name is Tal Sellis, and she's under the sheets with a flashlight, and she's got a roommate that uh, she may or may not be keeping up also. Yeah. She's under the sheets radioing Billy 
Ben, this is a way we used to record podcasts sometimes. Like if we're uh, yeah. away from the studio, you got to do a sheet show. Yeah, under the bed sheet. You got to keep the other person awake with your fucking <laughs> sheet show <laughs> in the other bed because uh, you're you're famously a two queen beds hotel room person. I enjoy my own bed when I can have one mm-hmm. to myself. If there were two king beds, I would take that every time. Why isn't that a thing? I think you're you're losing very little space between the beds by going two kings. Two kings never happens. It's always two queens, and it maxes out at two queens. I don't get it. I keep waiting for a hotel that has two-ply toilet paper also, but we're never going to get that either. <laughs> yeah. Billy is on the other line here, and Billy has been woken up yeah. with this bullshit. Good night. Billy, don't you dare go back to sleep. Tal, Celis can't figure out this complicated formula that she's been uh, tasked with. And Billy's like, well, we can't do this over the phone. It's too complicated. So we can meet or uh, we can meet in some other way. But Tal doesn't want to get out of bed. So that's it. Like, she's not going to get the solution to her problem. No. What do you make of Billy having all this glass on his nightstand? Like, Billy is a bottom bunk but also as a nightstand with two glass glasses and a glass decanter, that seems dangerous for the top bunker. It really does. I always hesitate to put a glass of water at my bedside just because, like, I've never done this, but I'm, I'm, like, terrified of, like, groping for something on my nightstand in the middle of the night and knocking water over and having a bunch of broken glass on the floor. If I'm stuck in a time loop and I keep waking up like Beverly Crusher by hearing voices and knocking over the glass on my nightstand. Like, I don't have a glass on my nightstand because I don't want to know. <laughs> I will happily do this time loop forever. <laughs> Pretty good time loop. Yeah, hit me with that no broken glass time loop every day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we get a McLaughlin group. Issue one. About uh, Seven's big report on ship efficiency and... Several key departments are being dragged down by dead weight in the form of these three ensigns that have been kind of highlighted over the course of our opening sequence. She absolutely shoots her assimilation nodules at everyone's nuts around the table. Like, (laughs) your nuts get shot. Your nuts get shot. Tuvok, you think you're safe? If you arrange the phasers in the weapons locker so that the smaller rifles were in front, they could be more easily removed in the event of an emergency. Phasers? Big phasers? I'll look into it. Those Vulcan nuts are getting shot. Everyone's (laughs) getting a little. Yeah, I mean, Tuvok gets off pretty light compared to everyone else, but... Seven's great at this. We learn about these these three kind of, like, low-effort ensigns. We've got Mortimer, who basically... He has a galaxy brain. He's like one of those kids that does really bad in school because he's bored by the material. He's too smart for it. Mm -hmm. And so he wants to be left alone with a super low stakes job so he can work on all his calculations. We've got Billy, the, uh, the sort of, you know. Mr. Telfer is a hypochondriac. Probably has more sick days on his record than anyone else in Starfleet. Yeah, I didn't really get the sense that he and Celeste had like a romantic relationship. I think they're just friends, right? I think Billy would find anyone else's body gross and (laughs) something to get sick from. Yeah. So he can't risk a a romantic relationship. But uh, 
yeah, so he's always checking into six bay and always getting a doctor's note to get out of assignments. And then we've got Celeste, who is just not cutting it in the brains department. Not smart enough to really be in Starfleet like that. Yeah. Bunch of losers, according to Seven. And it's interesting that they're like people that would have washed out, and it makes sense that they would have washed out if the ship was in the Alpha Quadrant and there was somewhere for them to wash out too. Yeah, I mean, their hole is plugged. Or they got nowhere else to go. <laughs> How much did you want that scene? Yeah. Like, that scene done in exactly that way. It really did make me think about those people that, you know, Tuvok was trying to whip into shape in season one and where they're at and, like, whether they're thriving now. I mean... Those folks were whipped successfully. These three have been nay-nayed. <laughs> yeah, just watch them. <laughs> Our course is locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. I'll say it again. Like, I think Seven is just the perfect person to tighten up the reins of like any situation. She yeah. cuts through the bullshit and goes right at you. And... The trouble is with the scene like this is that like she's trying to improve the efficiency, but everyone around the table is of the opinion that efficiency can't be improved. Like you get what you get with these folks. And like in some cases you might be able to do better by working without them at all. Right. There's like a case to be made for like hey, t- just take them off the hook. Like, yeah. like they don't have to contribute. That's fine. The idea that Chicote floats that they could just get fired to be passengers or something kind of blew my mind. Like, I wish there was a little more detail yeah. to that moment and that thought because Chicote tells Janeway, you know, uh, like, they're not even wearing pips. You can just get their uniforms back, give them to someone else. <laughs> but then what happens to these people? Do, do they just get a free ride? Like, it's a fucking yeah. cruise ship? Well, it's uh, from each according to his ability to each according to his need. Like, yeah. That's the kind of vibe in the Federation, right? Yeah. I guess it's it can't be the vibe on a starship, though, because the, the resources are too strained. And people keep getting killed week after week. They're eventually going to run out of folks. Yeah. Need some warm bodies yeah. sitting on the bench for backup. Pretty interesting scene just between Janeway and Chakotay talking about the, you know, these people fell through the cracks and Janeway is going to take responsibility for the fact that they haven't been properly motivated or they haven't been properly inspired. There's a moment where she stands up into frame and it's the captain and Chakotay like nose to nose in one of those, like they're standing too close together for real life, but it it looks right on TV. Yeah. Camera close is so different. Yeah. And like they're rimlet in this way that makes them stand out against the background such that, it almost had a Will and Tom Riker nose-to-nose energy in this shot. <laughs> it's so difficult to make that case. Like, I remember in my corporate video days, like, getting two management figures to stand next to each other and deliver dialogue to camera. Like, they were <laughs> never comfortable being that close. Yeah. Because no one's comfortable being that close. There are social conventions surrounding this, and violating them at work just feels so wrong. Yeah. It feels wrong, but it looks so right on camera. Oh, it looks so good. What have you got in mind, Captain? Janeway 
I don't know, because she's bored or something, sees these folks as a project. Yeah. A project that is her responsibility. So uh, she goes and invites a couple of them on this away mission. She goes and finds uh, Celis and Billy, who happen to be in the same place at the same time. So she uh, has an easy time telling them that they're going on the away mission, but then she has to go spelunking on deck 15 for Mortimer. There's another loser on deck 15 that she even has some uh, conversation with, and he seems to be doing fine down there. Kerman Mitchell. How have you been? Uh, never better, ma'am. I like this other guy. Like, I wish we knew that person more. It turns out you can get uh, stationed to deck 15 if you wail on guitar too loud for the rest of the ship, I guess. Yeah. It's weird how different Tom Morello looks when you just put a uniform on him. Like, he's not covered in loaf. Yeah. He's not covered in makeup. But he's not even doing anything that like rocks that much, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's he's not playing air guitar at all even, and yet he just blends into the operations of Deck 15 seamlessly. Just a stunning performance by Tom Morello here. I wonder what the story is behind this. Like was he just a fan of the show and was like called his agent? Could we do that? Could we call our friend and agent and just say we're a fan of the show and we want to get on it? Have a couple of speaking lines? The last time we called our friend and agent about anything, we got uh, rooted from Atlanta to Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> okay, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go a little while before the next phone call, I think. Yeah, fair enough. Sometimes Star Trek's pretty good at shooting that captain walking through a corridor with a bridge officer scene. And like when people pass going the other way, they'll get kind of the the star power recognition right. of another crew person. And that's typically all you get. But it's really fun to see someone kind of blown away by, holy shit, that's Captain Janeway. And she's all the way down here. Yeah. And I like that he's not like scared or anything about it. He's just kind of blown away at how unusual it would be. Like like he knows it's beneath her to be there. She is on a totally different social strata than him. Like she's yeah. obviously like her rank is way higher, but also they just would never have any reason to speak to one another. So like, you know, she knows his name and like they exchange some like extremely light pleasantries. But there's some real tension in terms of status in that in that little interaction that I thought was really well done. You hear about this all the time, like what happens to child actors when fame just kind of breaks their brains. Yeah. But like you see a little bit of that effect here where where like Janeway can't have a normal interaction with anyone because everyone treats it as a performance. Right. Except for Mortimer. Like Mortimer yeah. is uniquely unimpressed by the four pips she goes down there and like just big dogs the shit out of him because he's really excited about this theorem that he's working on that'll disprove someone's multiple big bang argument and she knows enough theoretical astrophysics to be on top of exactly what he's trying to do and tell him it's never going to work Chakotay tried convincing me that multiple bangs were possible. He couldn't pull it off. <laughs> it ended up being a theory. Few men can. Uh, <laughs> I like how 
She's sort of a master of all conversational trades here, too. Like, Mortimer is so quick and such an expert in his field of study. You think that maybe he'll get Janeway off balance here conversationally? No way. Janeway's got this gear, too. Yeah, she has the gear. What do you know about my expertise? As much as I need to. He has to go meet up with her and the rest of these lower decks in the ass lab where... The mission briefing goes down. You know, it's a, we're going to go through this area with a bunch of tantalizing anomalies and we're going to scan them and you're going to look for life forms and you're going to, you know, do astrophysics on them. And uh, I don't remember what all the different jobs are. (laughs) Yeah, it's a real rundown of the thing. But like the main takeaway of the scene is like, after these three fuck off, because uh, 0600 is coming around the corner pretty fast, Seven's like, you know you could die doing this. Like, you die by putting together the wrong team on Star Trek. It happens all the time, and you should know. Seven's like, weren't you in that McLaughlin group earlier? Did you not see my whole thing about, like, how these are the worst people on the ship? So Janeway tells Seven the story of the scorpion and the shepherd. She's like, (laughs) one day there was a shepherd who attempted to cross a fast-moving river with his flock. And for some reason, there was a scorpion there. <laughs> and the shepherd convinced the scorpion that they should make a podcast together, even though there was much evidence that uh, it would end poorly for everyone involved. <laughs> over and over, the scorpion promised things would be fine. But then the shepherd, the scorpion, and all the sheep drowned. It turned out the scorpion was not ready. (laughs) Seven's like, I do not understand this story at all. (laughs) And she doesn't have to. We cut over to the mess hall where uh, Neelix and BLT in Paris can't help but notice Heron alone in the lunchroom. And uh, this is such a visceral scene for anyone who had a hard time in middle school. Anyone who ever ate alone in the lunchroom. Yeah. I don't like that Paris is dared to have a conversation. That seems socially mean. It does. But what's meaner is Heron not giving a fuck at all about smashing Paris's nuts <laughs> to smithereens for the attempt. It's a shame. I imagine it gets tedious up at the helm. It's like the teen comedy where like the the popular boy bets someone that he he can like turn yeah. the nerdy girl's life around. And he yeah. goes up to her and like kicks it to her and she's like, fuck off! Get the fuck away from me! Am I a bet? Am I a fucking bet? <laughs> I don't want a victim blame here, but I think you gotta make the uh, Delta Flyer the, the subject of the conversation, right? Like, hey, you know you're, when you're in the Delta Flyer, you gotta be careful of those knobs. Yeah, yeah. I designed those knobs. So when you touch those knobs, you're touching me. <laughs> <laughs> and my knobs, which are down here. I'm very much the Leah Brahms of the Delta Flyer, and so uh, go ahead and touch the knobs all you want. Uh, I'm not going to feel weird about it at all. Am I making any sense here? Heron is not nice here. And it's in this scene that I recognized Heron and the actor who plays him for who he is. Did you recognize this guy? Uh, I did not. There was a movie that I watched over and over again as a kid. And I can't explain why, because once I recognized the actor from this movie, I looked it up and I was like, this movie wasn't popular. No one watched this movie. It was called The Boy Who Could Fly. 
Do you remember seeing that as a kid? I had never heard of the boy who could fly. Maybe if you wish hard enough and love long enough, anything is possible. Weird little movie about a boy who could fly. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, sold in the room. <laughs> but I watched this movie over and over and over again. Wow. And Jay Underwood is its star. He was much nicer in that movie, as I recall. <laughs> he wasn't the asshole that he was here. Wow. Hey, he was in it with Fred Savage. Yeah. Right? I've got to get that platinum. Get that low metal argument. I've got to get that platinum. Would not. Are you planning a heist? Gold. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. That night, Tal Celeste gets a calm call from Billy. Billy wants to call out sick again, but uh, she will not let him off the hook here. She does not give a shit. 0600 is moments away. <laughs> and she just straight up hangs up on him. And I love the physicality of a combat hang up. Yeah. I like the big arm swing. I do too. Um, I feel really bad for Tal Celeste's roommate, not only because she's constantly like up late at night, but also because they live in a future where all phone calls are speakerphone. Yeah. Like you can't, Take a private phone call in Star Trek. You're really right about that. No one had an earpiece except for Uhura. Yeah. She, she was the last person in, in history that had AirPods. <laughs> Damn. What a sad day that was when the AirPods went away. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. The day the AirPods died. They just worked. <laughs> yeah. In Six Bay... The doc isn't going for it either. No. Not going to grant a sick day from Six Bay. And uh, also, what's he doing with a medical tricorder? Billy shouldn't have one of those. Yeah. What Billy does have, which I locked onto right away, is slippers. You see him slipping around the ship? I liked his slippers. I liked his, his sleep outfit. It's like the under uniform, you know? Yeah. Because it's not like when we've seen Janeway like, up in her apartment late at night with her action jacket off. It's still got the high you know, mock turtleneck collar. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have that on this on this no. sleep outfit. Even in a mid-market hotel, or or low to mid-market hotel even, they'll give you like the hotel slippers in the plastic bag. Mm-hmm. That's what these look like. They're useless to me. They're always way too small. They don't make a hotel slipper in size 13. You have enormous feet, don't you? I do. I got big honkers. My feet fit right into hotel room slippers. Oh, that must be nice. With room to spare. <laughs> good for you, Adam. <laughs> good for you, man. Good for you. Good for you. They're useless, though. They're too flimsy. Yeah. Well, they're just for that one visit, you know? They, it's not like they're washing them and reusing them. God, I hope not. On the mission, we get the sense that Celeste is kind of the suck-up copycat crew person, that Billy would rather hide in the back, and that Mortimer is a real don't care. He isn't interested in being easy to talk to or easy to get along with. He's downright hostile in this scene. Yeah. Well, if there's anything I can do to help relieve your guilt, please let me know. I'll keep that in mind. The conversation turns to like where he grew up and Janeway kind of innocently suggests that maybe that's why he has an interest in astrophysics or whatever. And... He gets up on his high horse about, like, genetic determinism and, like, how 
where he grew up has nothing to do with what he's interested in. And we learned that he didn't want to be in Starfleet, really. He wanted to be at the Institute of Cosmology, and this was like a requirement for matriculating there, was like, do yeah. do a little time on a starship, and his uh, starship happened to be the one that got lost in space. Amazing. Terrible fucking luck, huh? Crying shame. <laughs> Some people really got it awful. But also, there's that class thing I was talking about earlier in this scene, again, where, like... Janeway's concern with him is not something that he treats as being sincere. He basically flouts this as this like yeah. noblesse oblige that he doesn't give a fuck about and is totally disinterested in. And he doesn't care about her status. He doesn't care about whether she feels good or bad about what happened to him in his life. Like he just wants to be left alone and do his own thing. And he's really got a chip on his shoulder about that. Whether or not that's coming from a like neurodivergent standpoint. Sure. I think he is justifiably angry about his circumstance and is unfortunately taking that out on Janeway. Yeah. And he shouldn't. Yeah. So everybody has gone into the back at this point to get soup and nobody like like somebody took Janeway's soup order but never brought it back up to her which was driving me nuts for this entire sequence you and me both <laughs> like she gets a moment up front by herself and you can see she's waiting for that yeah. soup like you can't start a new task when there's soup coming soup coming yeah but also you definitely don't want a big bowl of hot noodles and broth when a banger gets dropped on the ship and that is what happens. And we cut to the exterior and like a tuna can, like a big piece of the ship's hull has like peeled off of it. That doesn't look good. Ew. This is enough for the folks in the back to come up to uh, figure out what happened. And uh, January's like, which one of you had my soup order? <laughs> <laughs> I wish uh, one of them was covered in soup yeah. on the comeback, right? Billy should have been totally covered in soup, right? The Bajoran girl should have spilled her soup on uh, on someone else back there. Yeah. I think I think Billy is the funniest person to get soup all over him. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh yeah, they uh they quickly diagnose the circumstance and send out a distress call. Almost all of their antimatter is gone and they have no warp and they have like one eighth impulse and the ship is in a real bad way. Pretty quickly, Mortimer decides that what must have happened is that they got hit by a dark matter protocomet, a thing that he wrote the paper on, and Janeway happens to have read this paper, and it's just like a totally one-in-a-zillion freak accident that it happened to them. But he is arguing for, like, if we are in an area where there's lots of dark matter protocomet activity... They're going to be attracted to our antimatter, so we got to jettison the warp core. And Jane was like, like fun we are. I can't do that. Not on the basis of an unproven hypothesis. You seen how many pips I have? Let's do a pip comparison. <laughs> oh. Oh, I see. You don't have any of these, do you? That's right. I'm the boss. He might be right, but he doesn't have to be a dick about it. Yeah, and then he's like a dick about Celis's ability to do calculations on the fly that they mm -hmm. need to do to like you know like he's he's being a dick to everyone for no reason like Celis didn't ever do anything to him like I could see being mad at the boss's boss's boss mm -hmm. but like <laughs> Celis is like 
totally an innocent bystander here. I love the real world idea of like, well, let's wheel around and get that piece of hull that got knocked off and scan it. Yeah. And when they do, there's like fur and deer blood all over it. <laughs> like, what happened? What did they hit? Like dark matter deer blood all over this thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's gross. While they're in the back with this chunk of hull, Janeway's talking to Celeste and learns a little bit more about her and how hard she struggled at the academy. And, you know, she really feels authentically like that thing Chakotay was talking about, like somebody that worked really hard to get into Starfleet and get put on a ship, but just isn't really being stationed on a starship material. And it is not necessarily because of her capabilities. It seems much more about her having a case of terminally bad self-esteem. Like she sees herself as having gotten through the Academy because she's Bajoran and everybody just wanted Bajorans to be in Starfleet. So people were like looking the other way on her being unable to make the cut. That's a pretty fucked up zap for her to have on her head. I really liked Zoe McClellan's performance here. Yeah, this scene is so sad. This so easily could have been like ham and cheesed up into a like, and I never learned how to read kind of... <laughs> kind of thing but like the way she describes her struggles is really heartbreaking in my nightmares i am chased by algorithms my brain just wasn't built to understand this and there's never like that that cliche component of like you know my my parents really really wanted the best for me and they put me into schools that i had no business being in and like they hoped for the best and i tried to impress them like all of her her struggle is like within yeah. It it's not this outward kind of I mean, some of it is that because the picture she paints of herself, you know, as a person on Voyager is is pretty sad, but like god, there's a lot of self-loathing there and she doesn't feel like she deserves to be there or as a part of the crew and that's got to be tough when there's nowhere else to go. She makes this argument so forcefully that it like Janeway is like trying to talk her out of that headspace saying like, yeah, I pulled tons of all nighters at the Academy too. And by the end of the scene, I th I feel like Janeway is kind of like at a loss for words, like not knowing what to say to sell us to, to get her out of this funk. If I go into the front and you stay here, I can hit the button on the airlock and just, <laughs> accidentally blow you is that what you want <laughs> <laughs> you've almost persuaded me <laughs> in the back billy and mortimer are working and by working i mean mortimer is working while billy kind of scans himself for uh viruses or whatever yeah yeah Billy always reverts to the self-scan when, when he's bored and nearly gets Mortimer killed here. What's wrong with you? Everything. Mortimer is shocked at how little Billy is doing to help him. And uh, he's pissed at Billy for being so distracted. Yeah. Billy is fucking nervous as hell about, about his health for some reason. Yeah. He should be nervous about that panel. Yeah. I think. Nervous about having a dead birdie on board the ship. <laughs> He's never been around that much deer blood before. Yeah, yeah, that's probably what it is. 
Yeah. Well, anyways, they find some radiogenic particles in the rings of a gas giant nearby. So they go over there to try and get those particles to restart the engine. This is this when they start hearing the the weird sound? Yeah, I mean, there's a sequence here where Janeway hails the comet. Yeah. And then uh, shoots a torpedo to kind of attract the comets if they're there. Right, because it's got like antimatter in the torpedo, so they're hoping that whatever is going for them will go for the torpedo instead. Yeah, but like in rapid succession, it's like bang, bang, bang. There's like these talking sounds that fill the cabin, and everyone whips out their tricorders to see if they can figure anything out about them. And in this scene, Billy gets beamed away and then beamed back. Yeah, and there's something in him. And it's fucking gross. This whole sequence, I think, does a great job in, like, looking like it could belong in the body horror alien universe. Yeah. While being distinct from it in a very crucial way. Like, the back of the neck location is, ugh, it's gnarly. And, like, that he's able to describe the place that he was abducted to while being unable to communicate, like, really gives a sort of, like, communion vibe to the thing like that version of science fiction that was all about alien abduction yeah there's that kind of thread weave through this oh yuck they gotta like put him on a i love the makeshift bio bed in the back too like it's a little little half bed you don't see him like he's got to curl up into a fetal position to fit in it <laughs> and then they uh they force field him in they don't want that thing popping out no, and they can't scan it. Like it's it's made of dark matter, and they're talking about like the idea maybe it's like a life form that is dark matter based, and that seems to defy what they know about dark matter. Sort of seems like he got schismed, honestly. There's something like oh, my skin is crawling just even thinking about this. Like the parasites we know in real life are like tiny wormy guys. But this thing in his neck is like a fucking linguisa sausage. <laughs> it is enormous. It's like a nub and bug fucked a linguisa. Ugh. Is what would result. Yeah. It starts like operating Billy's body. And <laughs> this is fun. They're getting like their distressed call played back at them and it seems seems like it's a, like trying to tell them to do something and then he's like, I'm not in control of what I'm doing. <laughs> He starts doing a bunch of, like, pelvic thrusts. Mm. I can't make it stop. That's inappropriate. I'm sorry, Captain. Yeah. You've got to stop it. He's got another one of the Wrigley guys, and Mortimer expressed some interest in it, and he says, it doesn't want you, Mortimer. It does want you. And he turns to the captain. And Billy just fucking busts in front of everyone. (laughs) Oh, this is so gnarly. Like, you saw the size of this thing in the scene previous. The back of his neck must just be completely blown out. I don't yeah. understand how he's not dead instantly from this. This thing is worse looking than an ebon bug. And yeah. Mortimer phasers it against the captain's orders, killing a beautiful opportunity for first contact that she was really excited about. And they now realize that they are like being pursued by whatever alien force this is and they have to take refuge in these radiogenic rings it's a good thing billy has some sort of uh psychic link to the worm's thoughts also yeah 
And somehow, like, having that thing in him has unburdened him of his hypochondria. You know what? It's probably unburdened him from half of his blood supply. I think you need to put some packing into that neck hole before he bleeds out. I know. I know. Ugh. Yeah. And so, like, these, like, invisible pursuers are, like, pushing the rocks in the rings of this gas giant aside, chasing the Delta Flyer. Neat scene. And the captain is like, I'm going to like, I'm going to get you guys to safety. Everybody get in the, in the escape pod. And they're like, fuck that. We're not abandoning our captain. Mortimer's like, "Uh, I think I'm going to abandon my captain. (laughs) I got to go guys. I love how, given how quickly this decision needs to get made, like how okay everyone is with that. Like you're under no obligation to stay. And he's like, cool. I'm not. Yeah. Good luck. And he gets in the escape pod and... It's announced that it's launched, and I was so mad that they didn't show it coming out because I'm dying to know where in the ship this fucking escape pod is. It seems impossible. (laughs) Also, like, we get the scene of him operating a computer inside, but, like, you look at this thing in profile, he's got to be laying down, right? Yeah, yeah. It seems like one of those, like, kamikaze torpedoes that they had in World War II. Right. Right. And he's kind of using it as that, right? Because he like turns it around and is heading right for the thing that is pursuing them. And Janeway's like, not on my watch am I going to let an asshole buy the farm and get all the glory. He's really uh, Randy Quaid in Independence Day <laughs> the end of this episode. That's what I thought. <laughs> this is the redemption arc, and he wants this really bad. Yeah. He's like in the middle of self-sacrificing, but Janeway manages to beam the escape pod away and they're zooming out of there having gotten enough radiogenic particles to restart the warp reaction. I thought the like use of Celeste making a slight miscalculation in the countdown to the shockwave hitting them in this moment was really funny. Like great comedy. It's it's like it's like the most tense moment of the episode they do it to just drive bright underline against like yeah celeste has not gotten better at math like we we've cured billy of his hypochondria and mortimer has like demonstrated some interest in esprit de coeur and like being a member of the crew there's no cure for her problem (laughs) (laughs) she still sucks at algorithms like Captain Catherine Janeway's last words <laughs> of her life are, boy, you really are bad at this. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Everything gets real bright, and then Janeway wakes up in Six Bay. Everyone made it. Am I in heaven? It's Chakotay's face, the first thing that she sees. I thought that was sweet. Yeah. Yeah. They're all fine. They were found unconscious. And uh, there's no sign of the dark matter aliens either. Yeah. Was it all a dream? Did the dark matter aliens read Word Up magazine and decide (laughs) that they were, like, pretty cool after all? Yeah. It's the rare Star Trek episode where, like, the nature of the alien force is almost totally unknown. Like, we don't know if they were bad or good, if it was a misunderstanding, if it was something that was trying to eat them. Like there were moments where I thought the aliens were trying to communicate or maybe ask them for help or something. Yeah, yeah. Like that message, right? When Billy says, uh, do not belong or whatever. Right. That felt like it could have been interpreted in a bunch of different Star trek ways. And we never get any 
closure on that. It's just yeah. a a situation where <laughs> they had to get out of it as fast as they possibly could, and and they did. How fortunate are they that it was the Delta Flyer on this mission and not Voyager? Oof. Could have been bad. Yeah, it's yeah. been fucking wriggly worms busting out of necks left and right. The feeling during the final moments of this episode are Janeway believes this whole thing was worth it. Mm-hmm. There's coffee in that personal attention from their captain. Ben, do you think this episode was worth it to us? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. I liked this episode quite a bit. I feel like we've had a little run here where like a huge amount of the crew isn't really in the app. And that's uh, kind of a strange choice that they seem to be making over and over again. But um, I thought the characters were all really interesting and I enjoyed watching this one. It didn't burden itself with some of the things that a Star Trek episode typically does. Like it sort of zagged when I thought it was going to zig on us like learning something about these aliens. Like I like that generally speaking in Star Trek, we learn about the aliens and we learn what, you know, what the right way to act is at the end of the day. Uh, But I like, I think that it's a, a smart writing choice to every so often let a story be about just how confusing and scary it will be to be in space Mm -hmm. sometimes. Yeah, this is an episode that's very confident in what the most important aspect of the story is, and that's the three folks and Janeway. It's it's not the alien. And right. for a season where I feel like you and I have asked over and over again, what is wrong with Janeway? <laughs> like, season six, bad Janeway season. This is kind of a redemption of her, I think, in a big, big way. It was great to see how tenacious she gets in the face of a real opportunity that no one would blame her for, for giving up on some folks. Like, yeah. everyone around her is is convinced that uh, these people are a lost cause, and she never gives up on them. And I think that's just a great character development for her. I, I thought it was a... I mean, it's ridiculous that she would risk her life for this. I think there are probably <laughs> less life-threatening ways to do this. Yeah. But... Um, Good look for her in the end. And uh, I liked it for that reason. Well, I like Priority One messages, Adam, and I want to go look at some. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first Priority One message is of a promotional nature, and it goes like this. How do Starfleet captains trust that the Ensign and Tactical will launch a probe into that sentient nebula as asked and not a full spread of torpedoes? What my headcanon presupposes is Starfleet has great user training content. FODs. If you sell an app or software, you can't just send your users to the academy. Instead, Patrick Wrightsgood can Hmm. deliver the training content your users need to be successful 100% 100% booth be free. Amazing. Yeah. So, so visit patrickwritesgood.com to learn more. FODs can message me at patrickwritesgood.com slash contact to get a free consultation. You know, I hate to note Patrick here, mm. uh, but I feel like, you know, with Patrick's specialty being writing, yeah, he, sh- he should probably know a better way to put it is uh, 
Patrick writes gooder <laughs> than those other writers. Yeah, the, than average. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a very interesting niche that Patrick writes good has found for themselves. A uh, like like user training writing is a. It, it's hard to be concise and broadly understood. So. Something that, if you can specialize in it, it's a good idea. And uh, I know that there's tons of app developers and other kinds of uh, folks in our audience that will need this service. So I hope this goes well for PatrickWritesGood.com. I mean, I know as a consumer, you must have been frustrated by this many times before. But, like, you're not just buying the item or, or the thing or the app or whatever. Like, you're buying how to use it. And so often... Those materials disappoint, you know. Yeah. And you're totally. and you're made to like go find a YouTube video about how it actually works. Like this is important stuff. So if you're in the game of selling things to people, make sure you communicate how to use those things. Do it. Ben, our second priority one message is from Gus, and it is to Ben and Adam, who I'm sorry to say seem to have entered a temporal causality loop. <laughs> message goes like this. Oh wait, this is a script. I guess we got to read this back and forth like a script, huh? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I see. All right. So, uh, script note. Someone's quarters. Data does a fast professional shuffle. Riker. Sometimes I wonder if he's stacking the deck. Data. I assure you, Commander, the cards are sufficiently randomized. Worf. I hope so. Data. Eight. Ace. Queen. The dealer receives a four. Worf. No bet. Data. 10. Great scene from a great yeah. episode that we talked about this episode. Yeah, we did, didn't we? How weird. weird. How did you call that, Gus? Wow. Maybe we are in a temporal causality loop. Yeah. Well, our final priority one message here on the episode is from Defested, a.k.a. Jake, and it is to STLV 2023 Pranica Folks, goes like this. Another wonderful year at Pranicabana. Thanks to all that came out. And special thanks to Sam for helping continue hashtag ice crotch challenge. Y'all make the Rio bearable. And Ben, it puts the lotion on the skin. <laughs> sure does. Yeah, uh, Jake came along with us to the karaoke night that was yeah. uh, hosted by the Open Pike Night folks. Yeah. Really big fun. It was fun. Ben, if you brought a banana to the Prana Cabana, would that be a Prana Cabanana? <laughs> a Prana Cabanana? Prana Cabanana. Yeah. There's a less fun way to say Prana Cabanana. Yeah. Prana Cabanana. Prana Cabanana would. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I, th I think it would be that. It would also be very dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry I said it. Yeah, I'm going to banana split out of this bit. Uh -huh. What the hell did you just eat, a banana? Uh, if you'd like to get a message out there of a promotional or personal nature, the best way to do it is by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and setting up a priority one message today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Shimoda. Yeah, I'm giving it to Celis for that uh, last-minute miscalculation and uh, the little, like, self-deprecating remark she made <laughs> as they think that they're going to be overtaken by some huge explosion. 
Outstanding. Yeah. I love that scene. That was great. I'm going to uh, give my drunk Shimoda to Tom Morello. Just another in the long line of celebrity fans of Star Trek who just want to be in Star Trek and it doesn't matter how or who <laughs> or yeah. how much loaf you wear, even if it's no loaf at all. Like uh, yeah. Tom Morello, a big, big rock star and a recognizable face. And uh, totally. he does so, so little in this episode. And he seems very happy to do that. So good job by him. Yeah. I mean, at least they didn't put him in a fish man costume. Yeah. Yeah. Other rock stars settle for the fish man. Yeah. Well, Adam, uh, that is the end of today's episode. Next week's episode is season six, episode 21, Live Fast and Prosper. Imposters jeopardize Voyager's good reputation in the Delta Quadrant. What? What good reputation, you might ask? That was going to be my question. Yeah. What? I thought they were the ship of death to most people. Yeah. They're they're feared. They're treated with great suspicion. <laughs> yeah. No one likes them. <laughs> Since when do they have a good reputation? But... uh that is the premise of the episode, and uh, to find out how we will be doing that episode, I'm heading to the Game of Buttholes, The Will of the Caretaker, where our runabout is on square 89. Uh, looks like we could hit a The Traveler uh, square, mm-hmm. which uh, moves the runabout forward five spaces. Um, and I think we can also hit a Neelix's Galley, which is a... Bubble wine drunk episode. Okay. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Go ahead and roll this thing. See what happens. I rolled a five, Adam. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Jumping us over both of those. We are on square 94. Starting to get really close to the end of the board game. How about that? We've got a Mourn Hammered in range if uh, if someone rolls a six next time we play this. So close. It could happen for the first time in a long time. Boy. <laughs> I don't know if I could take that. Yeah, that, that just might put you into the ground. <sighs> we don't want that. This is the fourth of five episodes of uh, our two smash hit Star Trek podcasts we're recording this week. And, uh, yeah. Who I don't know if I'm going to survive the fifth. <laughs> Heavy flow week for us. Uh, Got to thank all the FODs who support the effort by going to maximumfund.org/slash/join. Mm. Those monthly contributions really help keep us going, and they keep uh, they keep Ben from calling out sick like Billy. Yeah. Ben's not billying around through here. Ben shows up. I show up, even though my uh, medical tricorder says I should not. Yeah. You shouldn't even have a medical tricorder. Just want to thank Ben for uh, working sick today. Really hope you feel better soon, man. Me too, buddy. Don't like to see you or hear you like this. (laughs) Me neither. All right. Uh, Well, let's uh, get through the credits so that I can uh, take five over here on the couch. Wendy's our great producer, tasked with uh, editing out all the sniffles and coughs from uh, one of the channels today. Sorry, Wendy. <laughs> She's uh, the best in the business. She really is. Uh, we got to thank Dark Materia, who made the original Picard song that you're hearing under our voices right now, and Adam Ragusia, our buddy who made the Janeway song and all of the original theme music for the program. 
Goose has great cooking channel over on YouTube. You gotta be following the Goose. Yeah, I bet he's got a great chicken soup recipe. Ben, make yourself a big pot of that. Big pot of tilapia and chicken soup. That sounds really fucking brutal. (laughs) But I know that if the Goose cooks it, it'll be delicious. Yeah. I'm not going to go by your description on this. You know we got Bill Tilly out in those social media streets. Uh, hashtag Greatest Gen is where you can find people talking about the show. The Discord is one of the best places to meet other FODs. That's DrunkShimoda.com. But we've also got places for them at Reddit, at Facebook, at uh, Instagram. Mm-hmm. All the places. Every social media place. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager, an episode of the greatest generation Voyager that could jeopardize our good reputation. I don't see how that's possible. (laughs) Ironclad. Make it so. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.